Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod Season 2. Booyah! I am your host, one of your hosts, Andy. I am your host, Bruce! And we are back! Bruce, what, what have you been up to? How's, how's your break been? Oh, let me tell you. I have done so much over these last couple of weeks. I went out and, uh, oh wait, no, no, I didn't do that. Mm. Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't this week. That was, actually, that was a year ago this week <laughs> when I went out. Uh, I was, uh, uh, Facebook, Facebook was kind enough to notify me of something that I had done a year ago <laughs> that involved playing magic at friends' houses. A, a year ago? Yes. Oh. Uh, now I play Magic the Video. So, speaking of magic, the video. Mm. Me, since you so kindly asked, I, <laughs> uh, I went off with my pirate deck. Uh, I made a pirate deck a while ago, for, like b- with a bunch of Ixlon pirates. But Commander Legends has got some talented pirates. Um, Arr, I'd be left to walk the plank in that game. It, uh, yeah, it. I feel like it really <laughs> did a number on my opponents. Uh, <laughs> I have never Maybe. seen I have never seen that deck come out quite like that. Um, the secret is to get Malcolm out on turn two, so that you can just start generating t- treasures for a very low cost. Um, that did seem to be helpful, but also uh, stealing other people's stuff, even the people who really couldn't afford to have stuff stealing, which I felt very bad about, but uh, I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, <laughs> Hey, yo ho ho! A pirate's life for you. Playing against a uh, Ed- Edgar Markov deck was a little worrisome. So you play uh, against Edgar Markov, you best come for the kill. Yeah, that's that's been that's been my break. Uh, uh, now we're back with season two. We've got a uh, ten episodes lined up for you. They're they're going to be pretty good, if I do say so myself. Got some repeating uh, segments. I forgot the word episode length segments uh (laughs) some repeating themes i guess uh we took what we thought were our best ideas yes Uh, and said you know what let's shamelessly do this again so we did let's let's not think of new ideas because that's really hard to do uh (laughs) and just yeah uh so welcome back uh it's been a long two weeks and we're here now Today's episode, we're going to talk about something controversial. Dun, dun, dun. I had the bright idea to tell all of you that white is a good color in magic because I love the color and I think it so encapsulates my my thesis around how I want to play a game of magic, especially EDH. Um, so we're going to dissect it in general and pull out some specifics and really really look at it as a mechanically sound color how's that sound any any disagreements yet hmm well let's take a look you know okay we'll 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 see we'll see how this plays out just as my thought going into this was uh i've always felt white is stronger than people give it credit for i am not convinced that by any stretch of the imagination, that white is the best color in Magic. Uh, I think that white has some some issues. 
<laughs> but uh, I am prepared to be amazed and astounded by what we find in this in the, as as we go through the episode. Yeah, I mean, I wholly, wholeheartedly, and unironically love playing white cards, and not as like a meme. Like I, I, I get it. I get, I get the joke, but there are some real cool cards. So let's dive right in. Uh, first up, let's talk about uh, what white does best, ramp. <laughs> um, so obviously, white isn't great at ramp. It's got some good ramp cards. But honestly, other than green, you're going to generate, especially in an EDH game, you're going to generally go for that colorless ramp. But, you know, white's got land tax. It's got uh, Knight of the White Orchid. Is that what it was? Uh, yes. The land tax option was really White's ramp mm-hmm. for the longest time. And basically what that meant was uh, White waits until somebody else starts to ramp, and then White can start to ramp too. Um, right. The, and not only that, it's like thinning its deck out exponentially. Well, you know, it's been sort of decided that removing one or two cards from your deck doesn't really change the percentages of drawing other spells. The thing with... The thing with something like land tax is if you play it properly, you you can genuinely get better draws. Just, you know, you don't always have to play the land. Right. I watch so many people run land tax or cards similar to it, whether it's uh, Knight of the White Orchid or... Um, Keeper of the Accord. Yeah, and the Weathered Wayfarer, where they play these cards start the turn and like okay i have less land they draw their land and then play the land so they now no longer have less land okay why are you doing that don't do that allow yourself to be one behind one it means you're less of a target because you're clearly not the strongest two you get to draw when you're behind you're 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 searching out lands you're th- and you are thinning your deck because as if you're pulling that many cards out of your deck turn after turn you are gaining ground by knowing that the percentages of drawing good cards are going to be much higher so don't immediately play that land you know obviously in the first few turns you can play the land because you know that other people are going to continue to play land as well so you're not you're less worried about it but you can't put yourself in a position where you play that land, and then you don't get to do this again the next turn. With a card like Land Tax, I would rather draw the lands, not play them, and then have to discard them. Knowing that I'm going to get to search out more <laughs> lands the next turn. Yeah. It just That just, to me, makes sense. I mean, you know, obviously, caveat, there's always the exceptions, but that's there. And that's always been White's primary go-to as far as ramp, which is part of the reason why White does ramp the way Andy was describing it through through artifacts whether it's your mana rocks or other artifacts that allow you to draw extra land that's what white always went to and i mean it's also the reason why cards like land tax even reprint after reprint are still twenty dollars like it's kind of a one thing that they have but people will still look at that and be like it's only helping you if you're behind which like yes but that's so bad right and a statement like that is just saying we think you're behind if you're behind on land now, if I'm at three land and you're at five, then yeah, I'm behind. But what happens late in the game? If I'm at 11 land and you're at 12, am I behind? I mean, at that point, that one mana could make a difference. But practically speaking, 
the idea that I'm going to begin my upkeep uh, searching for up to three basics, putting them <laughs> in my hand, means I'm taking three cards out of that library. And at this point in time, I may have done that three times now. Yeah. Well, now I've removed nine of the 40 lands in my deck. The percentage of lands in my deck is now significantly lower than it was. I'm going yeah. to draw good stuff at a significantly higher rate than my opponent. And if this means that I'm going to be one land behind when he's at 11 and I'm at 10, <laughs> and then when he's at 12, I'm at 11, I can live with that. I, I can think of another card that would go really good in, in decks that run land tax. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a there's a temple. Uh, I I, yeah. I think it has what is it Temple um, of the False God? I don't remember exactly mm. the wording on the card, but I think that one would be pretty good with land tax. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, it's been but a number of weeks since I've thought about it. <laughs> but this just it. So you know you can't just say oh it's only good when you're behind because that's only looking at it from a mana perspective period you're not looking at anything else yeah. so you just have to remember white's ramp might not be as good but white's ramp also comes with another bonus so white has also in the last few years gone beyond just doing land tax and variants of land tax right um and it's you know the obvious card that everybody knows that everybody was waiting for us to talk about as soon as we mentioned ramp was smothering tithe simply put smothering tithe by itself, I think, is one of the best ramp spells. Mm. That's a big call. It may not even be accurate. Um, but most of the time when I play Smothering Tithe, nobody pays the two. So I completely you... agree that it's like, it is that strong. It is also that ubiquitous at this point. Um, right. That like, you get it down, you're going to at least have a person not pay it. Um, well, I get almost giddy when when people are willing to pay that. It's like, oh, so you're going to pay the two every time you go to draw a card? Because that means essentially that you have two less lands than yeah. you currently have on the board. So, so yeah, you're either ramping yourself or de-ramping Right, else. so if I only have five lands, and you've got eight, and you're willing to pay the smothering tie, that means you only have six lands to my five. And that's assuming all your other opponents are also paying it. Because if they're not, I'm getting treasure. <laughs> I mean, realistically, in a four-player game, I expect to make two treasures every round. And then once the game gets into the mid-game, people have to deal with Smothering Tithe. Because yeah. eventually, the blue player, or the green player, or somebody plays a wheel effect. Ooh. And then your opponents are drawing 21 cards. Well, how much mana are they going to spend to stop you from getting all that treasure? It's likely they only have four, maybe six mana to spare. Well, they're drawing a mitt full of cards. They're going to want to be able to, you know, <laughs> they're going to want to get rid of the tithe. But at that point, you've already got, you know, however, however many treasures you end up getting from this. Smothering Tithe is an amazing ramp spell, and it also does so much work beyond that, meaning... It stops people from playing spells because they look at it and they're like, I'm not playing into that. You know, who plays a consecrated sphinx when smothering tithe is out? Nobody. Nobody. Because they're not willing to the give you, you know, the white player. Right. But that white player is playing blue. So, yeah. you know, but people don't do that because they're giving you so much free mana. So much. So it's even hard for players to play um, Rhystic Seti 
Yeah. You know, the guy's like, oh, are you going to pay one for that? And if they don't, he draws the card. And then you turn around to the Rhystic Studies player and you say, are you going to pay two for that? <laughs> I mean, like, it is tough. I, I think it warps the game a significantly and it forces people to actually deal with the smothering tide i'm all for that at least for now at some point i am going to get sick of this card um but i think that uh this is the way we're going to start to see white get more mana is it's going to come through treasure Um, oh absolutely i mean it's a one-time setup you don't get the land, which you can tap over and over and over again, but you get the treasure and you can get them in abundance. So it would give white a way to have a turn or two where they essentially can jump way out in front and then yeah. are behind again to keep struggling along. And when you add Smothering Tithe and land tax, well, now I don't, I definitely don't need to be playing that land so I can keep drawing the land with the land tax and rely on Smothering Tithe to keep me up with overall mana. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, red and white, uh, we're starting to see it definitely more in red with a lot of the dragons, uh, but a treasure-based ramp rather than like a land-based ramp. Um, So with white being kind of middle of the road, let's say, with ramp, like they've got some very specific really good ramp cards but overall kind of lacking um let's address the elephant in the room but not the generous gift elephant card draw uh so obviously uh white notoriously does not have that as a part of its color pie one only has to look at some of the card draw options that are available for white to realize the options just aren't great. White's card draw tends to be along the lines of cantrip. Essentially, yeah. you play a card, you get to draw a card to replace the card you played. Um, and that's well and good, but at some point, you start playing lands and other cards, and you're not those those cards aren't replacing themselves. You need to be able to draw a little deeper into your, into your deck. Yeah, um, and we're seeing this. We're seeing wizards address this um, over the past couple of years, especially with like Dawn of Hope type things, where you have to meet certain criteria to get to be able to draw the card. Um, Dawn of Hope says, "Whenever you gain life, pay two to draw a card." Okay, Mentor of the Meek. Whenever you play a creature with a power less than two, you pay one to draw a card. Yeah, it's very conditional. Um, but it is repeated card draw, which is nice. Right. Um, then you have things like SRAM, which, again, <laughs> conditional. Um, and then you have a bit of staples of, like, Wall of Omens, for instance. Uh, it's a one and a white. You get a zero four, and when it enters, you get, a, you get to draw a card, uh, which is kind of unconditional, but it is also just, like, a permanent version of any of those cantrips. Right. Um, so, like, you have to bounce it if you want to get it again. It's just... White... White's not known for their card draw. Uh, unless you build around it. Uh, which can be difficult. Um, well, I mean, you know, if you want card draw in white, you can build an Enchantress deck. You'll get, pl- right. you'll get plenty of card draw. But, you know, it is, it is very specific like that. I mean... You mentioned SRAM. Same idea. 
you build yeah. around SRAM and, and he will draw you a lot of cards. But if it was just a throw in on a, on a white, on a deck that had white cards, you'll get some draw, but not, not nearly enough to make the card worth it. I mean, if SRAM will end up drawing you, you know, what, two, three cards, nothing, <laughs> nothing special. Um, but almost all the cards that you mentioned, Andy, are cards that were made in the last few years. So right. we are seeing wizards address this issue. Um, and the key, and I, I applaud them for this, is that they're not going crazy with any one card. Like, as much as I like Smothering Tithe, I don't want wizards to make a white card that draws a crap ton of cards. <laughs> right. Because then suddenly it's like, okay, well, I have to put Smothering Tithe and I have to put this card-drawing behemoth into my deck. Great. So now white is now forced to play these two cards to get the basics that, that you want your deck to have. So I don't want to see that. I want to see this incremental growth. I want to see a series of cards that, you know, I'm not looking for white's card draw to be as good or better than blue. Uh, right. I, you know, I don't, I don't want that. I just want it to be there. I want, you know, I want to know that I can actually draw at least a few extra cards. Um, and I like the idea that a lot of the cards that they're choosing are conditional. Um, a lot of the cards they're choosing are uh, susceptible to removal. Um, again, I don't want something huge and outrageous. I just want something that has, you know, that's, that's reasonably good that will draw me a few extra cards. And if my opponents don't deal with it, it will continue to draw me more and more cards. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think Dawn of Hope and Mentor of the Meek are definitely, like, spot on of where you want to be for card draw in white. Um, because both of them are going to be generally creature-based. Dawn of Hope is life gain conditional, but most of the life gain you get is going to be from lifelink, um, which white is very good at. Um, and I think, like, I mean, obviously, Mentor of the Meek is creature-based. You know, you get a creature, you pay two, you pay one, and you get a card. Um, and I think, like, if you were... Like, you'd have to really try to break that mechanic. But I think, like, it, as is, like, that should be the direction of white card draw. It's just... It's, it's interesting because even though it is fairly conditional... I think having it creature-based um, is very interesting because uh, white does creatures. Um. It's where it's at right now. I believe that in, you know, give it three more years. In, th <laughs> in three more years, you're going to have another six or eight creatures or, or some, <laughs> kind of per some kind of permanents that are white that are going to, uh, you know, that are going to draw you cards, not just one card, but multiple cards. Um, and I think that uh, as this goes on, you're only going to see white get better and better. Um, yeah. Again, I I like I like the way they're going about it. Um, Definitely. I, f I feel like when they made efforts to make to give green card draw, they went over the top. Uh, they <laughs> they well they just. So many, yeah. so many, uh, so many cards, and so many of them were so good. Um, and I mean, you have you a know. five, five, six, six, uh, or sorry, a six, six for five with vigilance and trample that will draw you cards. Right. 
why? Why right. do you need that? Right. <laughs> of course. So yeah, I'm happy with where it's going. Yeah, and I think it 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 is very much in the niche of where white wants to go anyway, which is a lot. Like you want to go wide, generally with white. Um, if you're going the creature out, um, it's going to be short, but it's going to be wide. Right, and a card like Mentor of the Meek is going to encourage that. Exactly, and um, even Dawn of Hope. Like if you, you know, if you go wide and all of those creatures have lifelink, um, you're going to be triggering it multiple times. Um, and I think that that's kind of the next the next segment is uh, creatures. Um, it's not again. It's not the best with creatures. I mean, green has that covered uh, white sure has flyers but everything's so small and so wide i that what i like about white for creatures mm-hmm. is the fact that we're playing commander right. um so you know yes w- when you think about white creatures you think about small creatures on the ground who have a bunch of abilities and you know overwhelming numbers but we're talking about close to 30 years of magic here um there are plenty of big, big flying white creatures mm. or just bigger creatures. Now, you know, no, there's not as many as there might, you know, there aren't as many big white flying creatures as there are, say, dragons in red or or whatever, but they're out there. And because we're playing commander, you can pick any card. So especially with creatures, white doesn't have to be the best at, at having all these big flyers. I mean, right. white can be second best, or third best, <laughs> even. Um, there's still plenty of them out there. They still do a lot of good stuff. Um, white doesn't have to be the best with ground pounders who do stuff. But again, it's been around so long that you get those benefits. Stuff like, you know, I mean, sure. Green has, you know, five cards that are like Sun Titan equivalent. <laughs> but white has Sun Titan. Right. You know, so it's not like it's not like the cards aren't there. There's maybe just fewer of them to choose from in particular areas. So if you are looking for that big flyer, you're looking for whatever. There's just not as many options, but there's still plenty. It's not like yeah. there aren't any. And it like they have so many enablers for going wide. Right. I mean, like it's so easy to get a 1/1 in white but it's just as easy to get two one ones or even your favorite divine visitation yeah that card's white it makes your go wide strategy that much better um audric is white audric lunark marshall just kind of gives keyword soup to everyone who wants it if you have Um, a if you have two or maybe three permanents that give your creatures plus one plus one well, now your 1-1s are 4-4s. And that's assuming they're even 1-1s. They're probably 2-2s. Two Maybe they're 2-3s. And then they're suddenly 5-6s. Five, five and, uh, you know, and when they die, that you can replace them much faster than your opponents can replace them with 6-6s six because you're only paying 2 or 3 mana. You know, yeah. they have to get rid of the, the cards that are pumping your creatures and then go after your creatures. The way white does it is just a little bit different, that's all. <laughs> um, you know what else? Kind of tangentially related to creatures, 
It's life gain. Life gain is something that white does astronomically well, especially compared to other colors. Uh, most life gain that you see on any other color is generally going to be associated also with white, whether it's, you know, like a red Boros card or uh, an Orzov card. Um, it's either, like, flavor-wise going to be connected back to white or it's going to also have white on it. Right. Um, I want to piggyback onto this particular top, this particular section. Uh, I don't want it to be just life gain. Life mm -hmm. gain and vigilance. Mm. These are two. Oh these God. are two abilities that show up on white creatures far more often than any other creature, and both of these abilities are significantly undervalued. Significantly, you know, having a spell that gains you twenty life is great. That that's fine. <laughs> the problem is, is when you gain twenty life, everybody on the table sees it. They watch your life total go spinning up the. Watch the dial spin up. And suddenly, you're a target. Yeah. Now, gaining 20 life shouldn't be, in and of itself, a reason to become a target. It's life. It, by the end of the game, boom, boom, boom. You can lose that much life in, in, a, a, turn. in a turn. Yeah. And, you know, or you can gain 20 life, get to 40, and still be dead the next turn in a commander game later on. But the key to me is the life gain that is incremental. I love the idea that, look, I played a creature, I gained a life. I swung with my 2-2 two -two and you didn't block, I gained two life. I swung with my 2-2, two -two, you did block, I gained two life. <laughs> I sat back, you swung at me, you killed my creature, I gained two life. Just a little tiny twist. It's like, oh, what, what was your life total? I was at 18, now I'm at 20. <laughs> Nobody cares! No. But you've gained just that little bit. And the thing is, is that for white, you're doing that all game long. All game. You're going I to get it. you're going to end up gaining 30 life over the course of a game. Your opponents are going to have to do 50 to kill you. But nobody thinks about it because you didn't gain 20 all at once. Because that's how that's how white tends to do a lot of their life gain. It's honestly one of my favorite parts about my Tesa deck is that like, you know, like a round will happen, like three or four turns, and we'll go by, and I'll gain, you know, a life here, and somebody will lose a life, and then I'll gain another life, and somebody will lose a life, and, you know, it, it just adds up, and it's so incremental that, like, it's hardly noticeable until you physically look at it. Like, like just shove your face in it and be like, oh my god, Andy's at 50 and everybody else is at 30. And sometimes it happens very fast, uh, and... I think, too, funnily enough, with Tesa, she gives your tokens vigilance. And I think that is very key because you're starting to worry less about keeping back blockers. You're, you're moving the game forward, uh, hopefully. Uh, and um, it's honestly my two favorite mechanics. Whenever somebody posts like a like a Twitter poll that's like, oh, what's your favorite mechanic? I always say Vigilance because I don't have to think as much. I can spend more time talking. I can hang out. And vigilance, means, like vigilance means you go to your combat step. The only thing you need to worry about 
when you're going to your combat step and you have vigilance is, are they going to kill my creature because I'm attacking? That's it. It's not a question. If they can't, if they can't kill your creature, then you swing. Because there's no reason not to. It's not like that creature's going to be tapped and unable to block. And in a format where there are three opponents who can all hit you on their turns, vigilance is huge. If you have a 3-3 with vigilance, it can swing and hit for three against one opponent, and it's still there to block when any 2-2 is coming back at you. In other words, not only have you hit for three, but you've stopped six <laughs> just by having vigilance. Vigilance is huge. And if you and if you ever doubt it, look at your board the next time you're playing any kind of weenie deck. And I don't care what color you're taught what color you're thinking about, and say to yourself, what would change if I had if all of my creatures were vigilant right now? And I guarantee yeah. you're swinging in. I love vig I love vigilance. We could do a whole show on vigilance. And we will. Um I I, I think these two are some of my favorite mechanics because uh, they're getting more and more support uh, because it is seen as like it has that space to grow. Um, we're getting more and more effects like a Johnny's Pride Mate, where it's like when you gain life, do this thing. So it's like Life Link is a plus. Um, Johnny's Pride Mate, you know, you get a plus one plus one counter every time you uh, gain life. Uh, Gideon's something uh, gets two plus one plus one counters every time you gain life. Uh, you get effects like that. And then Vigilance, um, you've got uh, a number of cards that do a certain thing. Like, you can tap it to do a certain thing. But if you throw Vigilance on there, you can attack, and then second main phase, tap it to do the thing. So, like, right. Speaker of the Heavens has both Vigilance and Lifelink. It's 1-1, yep. one, one, sure, but it also only costs 1. Uh, but when you tap it, you create a 4-4 four, four White Angel creature token with Flying. You can only have activate it at sorcery speed, and if you have seven more, seven life more than your starting life total. But like, you're, if you're starting out early in your game, you can get there fairly quickly. Um, if you're built around the idea of life game, but also just circumstantial life game, is very easy to come by. <laughs> um, and uh, I think white does amazing things with its mechanics and keywords. Um, uh, we're about halfway through our discussion. Uh, we're going to jump out to an ad break, and we'll be right back. Sound good? Sounds good. Cool. Uh, be right back. Ta-da-da! This episode of Temple of the False Pod is brought to you by Keldoran Outpost. For all your military and soldiering needs, Keldoran Outpost, found just this side of the wall. Now back to you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Cool. That sure was... It's exciting. Uh, exciting. And enlightening. <laughs> yes. Mm. Uh, so, to kind of continue the discussion of what white does great. Yes. Um... You know what white does best? Better than any other color? Yes. Good. Uh, it's removal. Um, of I'm all glad time. we have the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, 
people would hard disagree on this one. They're um, wrong. They're wrong. Exactly. Um, you know, it, black has so many single target removal, unconditional removal. Um, yeah, and that's great. And and you know, good for black. Uh, congratulations, black. You get to take a creature and put it into a graveyard where practically anybody can get it back. Good stuff, black. Go team. And, Go unless, team. Unless it's indestructible, Bruce. Unless well, then it never goes to the graveyard. Oh, what mm. are those creatures? Yeah, they're white. Mm. Um, you know what exiles things real well? Yeah, white spells. White, white spells. My favorite mass removal card. Settle the Wreckage. Um, sure, Settle the Wreckage is extremely conditional in if somebody's attacking uh but it a exiles a lot it exiles their whole attacking board if they're coming for you play it um they get something back but it's generally not going to be as good in edh um because so many people run too few basics um period so like settle the wreckage for those who don't know it's two and two white for an instant um it says exile exile uh, all attacking creatures target player controls uh, that player may search his or her library for that many basic land cards and put those cards onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle his or her library i think it's real good because there is the chance that they have enough basics to get out but you are also completely wiping their board uh including any hexproof or indestructible creatures um andy this card is even better than you think oh i bet um when an opponent is attacking you you can play settle the wreckage one it's instant speed it only costs four so it's a combat trick that people are not really expecting because a lot of white's mass removal is sorcery speed. White players have, <laughs> have tended to have to play it on their, own, on their own turn. This way, you're targeting that opponent that swings at you. You can offer warnings before the start and then follow it up with Settle the Wreckage. That's well and good. You can also do it when an opponent is targeting a different opponent, so you can help your buddy out. That's a pretty niche scenario but it's there more importantly and the way a lot of people don't think about this is you're white you're playing weenies you swing in with three one one soldier tokens on somebody now whether they whether they block or not is really kind of irrelevant let's say they don't they're three one one soldiers they take the three points of damage there is a point after they've been dealt damage where those creatures are still attacking creatures now you play settle the wreckage destroy mm. your own three three your own your own one one token creatures you're getting rid of three of them boo hoo and you get three basics that come onto the battlefield tapped that's worth yeah. something that is worth something now sure doesn't happen right away it 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 really flies in the face of anything you're trying to do as far as the land tax option that we were talking about but <laughs> well i mean if you're swinging in with enough creatures and you're willing to give them up that's an option 
And even when you are playing it on somebody else's turn, like, or on somebody else's creatures, um, you are doing exactly the specific thing that you need to do to not get hurt. Um, you're not wiping the whole board, which politically is great. Um, you are dealing with the threat either to you or to somebody else. And uh, if everything goes well, they're not getting full value out of it. Right. Um, and even beyond Settler Wreckage, we've got a suite of mass removal spells that that are notoriously white. Uh, they, they originated in white and will be white until... Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, the OG Wrath of God, right? Uh, is is a white card, and this is this is an area that Wizards has decided is is a white ability, getting you know mass removal. Invariably, most of the mass removal includes taking out your own creatures. So, I would argue, loosely, Cyclonic Rift is probably the best mass removal card. But I think that virtually every card underneath that is white. As far as number two, you know, two through ten, I think you're looking at mostly <laughs> mostly white. I mean, you, you mentioned Settle the Wreckage. I want to give a shout out to Hallowed Burial. Um, for three mana, oh, sorry, for five mana, it's a sorcery, so it's a little slower. Um, and it essentially does what, it, it, it's mass removal. It doesn't sound that exciting until you realize you're, it's put all creatures on the bottom of their owner's libraries. Mm. So I don't care if your creatures are indestructible. I don't care if you can regenerate. I don't care if, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, basically, I don't care what your creatures are doing. <laughs> They're going to the bottom of the library. That's right. The bottom of the library. I'm, I'm not letting you put them in your graveyard so you can get them back. I'm not tossing them into exile because that's just boring. I'm putting them at the bottom of your library. There you go. You got a chance to get them back. Just, you know, draw your entire library to get it back. You know, figure out a way to shuffle up and maybe you've got a chance again. I love this. And it is, uh, it's just a great way to, you know, it's a great option when it comes to, uh, uh, when it comes to mass removal, at avoiding yeah. a lot of the restrictions that come along with most mass removal cards. Yeah. And I think, like, mass removal is great for white. Exiling, even targeted exile, is still a very white ability. Um, you've got one of the best single target, or you've got the best single target removal, and maybe the second best as well, uh, spell. Uh, in Swords Plowshare, and then Path to Exile. So many people see Black as the removal king, and Black has a lot of removal cards, a lot of them. Mm. But I will take Swords to Plowshares and Path to Exile every single time. One mana, exile a creature. Not send it to the graveyard, exile it. We're getting rid of this thing. I've, you know, this is an I have seen it enough card. You can use it on their commander, make them recast it. You can use it on any other creature. You just, you're exiling. This isn't a sack. This isn't, you're not sending it to the graveyard. 
So you get around so many of the destroy, you know, effects that stop people from destroying. You get around that graveyard recursion that Black just doesn't get around. Um, <laughs> I think. I think. I think white, yeah. white for even targeted removal. There might not be as much of it, but what there is yeah. is way better. I think even those two generous gift uh, has been seeing a lot of play lately. And I think that somebody's counter argument would be, oh, well, they're getting, you know, a token or they're getting life out of it. They're getting something uh, to kind of be a consolation prize for losing their thing. Um, But is that so bad? I mean, I I think like it generally will feel a little better for the player, which like sounds a little gushy and like, oh, like participation trophy. But like it's also like if you're playing a multiplayer game, they might think of it not as seriously if they're getting something out of it. Uh, right. It's a very EDH way to play. Um, mm-hmm. And it's extremely efficient. Um, you know, you get X life where X is the power. You know, at most it's going to, I mean, at most it can be like 20 something, but generally it's going to be less than 10. It's very easy to bring that back down. Um Path to Exile, they get a land out of it. A basic land, I think? Which, like, great. You know what? Have it. Uh, Or even Generous Gift, they get a 3-3 elephant. That's hardly a threat. It's just like a little... It makes both sides feel a little better about, hey, I'm gonna ruin your play. (laughs) Um, It's it's nice. Uh, It's how I like to play. It's why white is one of my favorite colors right Um, and it's also why white is basically one of the best removal is the best removal color right now when we say removal up until now we've just been talking about creature whether it's mass creature removal or targeted um but white handles virtually every permanent (laughs) on the board um yeah i know that wizards is trying to get white to move away from enchantment removal but we're playing commander folks And uh, there is so much good white remo- so much good enchantment removal in white. Um, white can handle enchantments and artifacts for days. For days, it just right. You can't. I mean, for those who don't know, before green had naturalize, white had disenchant. Um, like they are shifting it to a green thing, but disenchant's a common. Um, You've got enchantment removal. You've got artifact removal. You've got... uh, What's the one with the sword and it's turning into dust? Return to dust. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Return to dust is so good because generally you can can play it at instant speed. Right. Uh, Or, if you don't have to take care of something right away, you can play it at sorcery speed and get two things at once. Um... That's right. real cool. That's extremely valuable. White can white can handle virtually anything that hits the board, and it can handle it when it wants to handle it. Meaning, uh, okay, yeah, that's bad for me if you send it my way. I'll wait and see if you send it my way. It means you're not burning your spells immediately to have to deal with these kind of situations because you it because you don't have to deal with it until it's actually going to be a problem for you and that you know 
that kind of ability, that kind of removal is huge. It's it, it it to me, it's one of the reasons why it makes white so good is because white can have an answer to virtually anything on the board, and your opponents just don't know. As long as you've got mana up, you might be able to deal with whatever it is they're about to about to do to you or throw at you. Yeah. So, you know, that's uh, and that's that's invaluable. Um, yeah, and like that that's pretty much that runs the gamut on on white um like it does a lot maybe sometimes not as great as other colors but like it does everything you need it to do um which will bring us to uh, some sort of conclusion of there are two things that people look at when thinking of white let's first talk about mono white or white primary commanders um how how good would you say it compares to other primary or mono colored commanders i mean the di- yeah the difficulty mono- white has as a mono color is well i mean we've already described it uh i mean we're talking about uh the, the the ramp is there, but it's not super powerful, and the card draw is just not that great right now. When you pair those in one color, that makes it really tough for white to be your primary color. You mm. really end up relying on artifacts and other ways, artifacts or if it, if white is a primary color, you're relying on your secondary color heavily to fill that gap. So, if, so yes, um, and I think too with that, I think like even with an adequate, a somewhat focused mono white deck, uh, it kind of comes down to the pilot. I think a decent player could pilot a mono white deck to victory quite easily. Um, obviously, depending on who the other the opponents are and who the other commanders are, but. Um, may not necessarily steamroll your opponents, but if you play it right, especially if you kind of like hold back at the beginning a little to kind of build up uh, under cover of darkness and kind of strike at the end, I think it's like that's a legitimate way to play. <laughs> um, which is just what white kind of just does. It's one of my favorite ways to play. And um... whether you want to or not. Well. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Too many times I'm, you know, well, I mean, what? One out of every, or three times out of yeah. every four, you're probably not leading the game from the outset. So if you're not comfortable playing that way, then there's an issue. And white is really good at playing that style. So three out of every four games, white is going to be really good for you. Well, wait a minute. Why is white bad again? I mean... I understand that, you know, obviously there are restrictions to the color, but you just need to play smart and, and be aware, you know, and as you, if, as you will, you know, after this episode, you're aware of white's limitations and white's strengths and you will play to those strengths. So if you want the card draw that desperately, then look at Enchantress, look at, look at SRAM, look at, uh, uh, you know, look at uh, various, uh, types of builds, um, but in the end, I mean, green has ramp and card draw. Uh, blue has tons of card draw, and maybe not as much ramp, 
but so much card draw that it actually sort of qualifies as ramp. So, uh, so those two colors are well out in front. Uh, black has card draw, um, and their ramp is not as good. It's a lot more. Uh, it's it's a little slower, but it's still there. And I would argue that it's uh, black's ramp is at least as good as white's. So as a monocolor, yeah. I would say white is probably your fourth best option. But even there, I'm not going to rush out and try and build mono white. Um, I think it too depends on what you are trying to do with your game. Um, right. In a general stance, I would absolutely agree that white, mono white, probably fourth best. But for me, I kind of want to do that. Uh, and I think where white shines, uh, for for a lack of a better uh, term, uh, white shines as a secondary color, as your backup, or not even backup, but your support uh, for your primary color. Yeah. Um, my Tesa deck is primary, primarily black, um, but that white really comes through. Uh, in the life gain, uh, the vigilance, um, the removal. I would say white, if you are having trouble, if you want to play like a two-color two deck, and you're having trouble picking the second color, personally, I'd say choose white. You've got a, a vast, vast library of, of white spells to choose from um, that will ultimately help you do your thing uh if not necessarily win but do your thing right you describe white as a good secondary color or you know a good uh, i would argue that it's a good color to even do a 50 50 pairing with um yeah i would i would run white as a primary color with a strong secondary color running with it um yeah when i look at you know when i look at the guilds i mean orzov is my favorite guild it's not close um, yes. I enjoy playing Azorius less so than less so than Orzov, but I enjoy it. Selesnia is probably in my top three as oh, well. I love Selesnia, and, and especially for that vigilance, <laughs> right? And the fourth one is Boros. Now, I have two Boros decks built, and they continue to exist primarily because of white. Because the white cards that are in there continue to prop things up and keep me alive for for long enough for the you know for some red direct damage to finish some you know to finish off some games, um, but I enjoy playing Boros. Uh, I enjoy that style of you know going all out and and send yeah. you know tap it send it in send in the troops send in the troops go go go. Um, I like that style um, quite often when you're playing Boros you get put at the bottom of the list of people who need to be dealt with because, hey, you're playing Boros. Everybody thinks that they can handle you, and as long as you're not overplaying your hand, uh, you, can come, you can come through out of nowhere and just blast through the last opponent or the last two opponents quickly and pull out wins. It, it can happen, it does happen, and it's part of the reason why I really enjoy seeing white as... Uh, as part of the, uh, you know, as part of a color color group, um, and I know right now I'm looking at uh, my next deck build. Uh, I plan to build a three color build. I haven't decided which one yet, 
but I can tell you right now, white will be one of those three colors because it gives me all of the options for res for, for responses. Um, I'm not looking for counterspell. Counterspell is... Uh, hmm. Any kind of counter means that I have to decide as soon as you play it whether it's a threat to me. I don't want that. I want it to be a threat to me, and then I'm dealing with it. And white does that better than anybody else, so that's why I want white in the deck. Yeah. Um, There's just, just something that feels better about removal over countering, uh, but that is also, I guess, a conversation for another time. Um, yeah, and I think uh, with white, like, there is some legitimacy to the meme-iness of uh, hating on white, but I think overall it's a little blown out of proportion. I think that um, when directly compared to other colors, meaning... When seen in cycles, white sometimes gets the shaft. But in other, like in non-cycle cards, like it does some pretty cool things. Um, white may not be the leader, but honestly, white is not nearly as far behind as you think it is. Hmm. Um, I, I I really believe that. Um, we are. We are very close, very close. I think we're a handful of cards from Wizards away from seeing white, uh, white move up into the into the upper tier, where uh, where players are really going to have a hard time trying to deal with with decks where white is primary. Um, yeah, I, 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 and think I think that's where yeah. we're where we're headed. So I on like I honestly think that even before Commander Legends came out, we like with with keeper the accord uh i think even before that we were starting to see a lot more white staples uh appearing or even just edh staples appearing in white um in standard sets uh you know uh heliod's intervention is an amazing card right um settle the wreckage came out in nixon that was three years ago um jesus Never mind, that's a long time. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've got you've got a number of white cards that are coming out uh, with more frequency um, that are starting to be seen more kind of as staples. So right, um, yeah, I I'm excited to see the future of white. I hope they don't go overboard as they did with like green or blue uh, in the past couple sets, but like that die has been cast literally uh uh mostly because they're on a two-year production cycle but <laughs> uh yeah and that i'm i i just want to go build white now uh, there we go yeah so uh run we'll run some orzov and some selesnia builds and, mm, and i'll just uh, i'll just keep running there. my taser deck there you go <laughs> um, but that'll do it for this week on Temple of the False Pod. Be sure to tune in next week and the following eight weeks as we have a whole season of ten. You've got some spicy things coming up in the mix. Uh, and if you haven't checked out last season, they're all out there. Go check it out. Uh, what are you waiting for? Give us a like or whatever. Uh, rate us. You'll, you'll hear it all in my spiel in a second. But thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. We are Temple of False Pod, where our decks aren't optimized.
Clearly, we're running white. <laughs> but our play sure is heck our fun. Hee <laughs> hee. Clearly, because we're playing white. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye. Hey everyone, Andy here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Temple of the False Pod. Just a few housekeeping things here at the end of the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Subscribe and give us a review. It really helps out the show. And it'll show us what you like about our podcast. Uh, also, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. Our handle is falsepodmtg, all one word. So be sure to follow us. Feel free to reach out to us there or drop us an email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com and tell us your favorite magic-related story. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to you and to Bruce. He's Mana Burned on Twitter, and I'm Andy Weekend on Twitter and Twitch. We're Temple of the False Pod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the temple.